Welcome back to the World War One podcast, HY316. This week's episode is brought to you by Jake Sherman. I am a senior at Aquinas College. I am a social studies education major as well as a history minor. And I'm Gannon Foley helping Jake Sherman along today. I'm a history major with a writing minor also in my last semester here at Aquinas and we're happy to talk to you today. Today's topic is World War One, specifically U.S. propaganda. We got a couple posters here to talk to talk about, and Gannon's going to kick us off with some background. Sure, thanks, Jake. So, as a little bit of background, Jake and I are going to be focusing on two specific types of propaganda. We're going to be looking primarily at anti-German U.S. propaganda to try and foster a feeling of patriotism and to try to get Americans to foster some sort of negative sentiment against German Americans and Germans in general. And we'll also talk about just some general patriotic uh, propaganda, which is meant to instill, instill patriotism, nationalism, and also to try to get Americans to join in on the war effort in a couple of different ways. So to jump into a little bit of background on the anti-German propaganda, um, interesting enough, Germans were one of the largest groups of um, European Americans uh, in America at the time of the war's outbreak. In the 1850s, roughly one million Germans immigrated to the U.S., which, considering the fact that Germany had a population of 40 million at the time, it was a large segment of their population that came to the United States, which meant that heading into the war, German Americans consisted of one of the largest populations in the U.S., uh, in fact, one in 11 Americans were either first or second generation Germans. Um, they lived in really populated states such as Pennsylvania and New York, and they were really influential in having German cultural elements in our society. There were a lot of German-speaking schools. There were German Catholic and Protestant churches. Um, so they were a very prevalent part of society. When war broke out in 1914, however, um, even though Americans weren't in the war at the point that 1914 happened, um, anti-German sentiments really started to creep into society because the Americans were a little more um, allied-leaning. For instance, a lot of people were holding stigmas against hyphenated Americans, so the idea that some people considered themselves German-Americans and not just Americans. Um, presidents such as uh, Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson um, they actually came out and were talking about how people should not consider themselves hyphenated Americans, and they encouraged just this feeling of America first. If you live here, you are American. And people were encouraged to drop the hyphen when talking about their, um, their past. In addition, a lot of um, common foods and household items had their names changed in order to sound less German. For example, um, hamburgers were no longer called hamburger hamburgers. They were called Liberty Steaks. I think that's my favorite one. Yeah, that one's pretty entertaining. <laughs> Uh, sauerkraut was called Liberty Cabbage, and my favorite, uh, the, the Dash Hound, like the dog, was called Liberty Pups, so that was even changed as well. A little bit closer to us, I'm not sure if this was World War One or World War Two, but the town of Marne, uh, a little bit to the, to the west, the northwest of us, was originally called Berlin, and they still have a Berlin way, raceway there, and I'm not sure if it was, I believe it was World War One. the name was changed to Marne, the site of the... The famous battle during World War One as well. So even a little bit close to us, we have this name change phenomenon, very relevant. One of the sources I found was talking about that name change as well. 
And so the last piece that I want to talk about as far as propaganda for the German side is that in a lot of uh, anti-German propaganda in the U.S., the Germans were referred to as Huns, which is a reference back to the Asiatic nomadic tribes that periodically fought their way across the the Asian and European continents and kind of terrorized European populations. This happened uh, a couple of times in the first and second millennia A.D. And so in a when American propaganda artists reference the Germans as Huns, they're trying to show them as, quote, savage, as um, evil, and to show them as domineering over the European society. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Jake, before we jump into the actual posters? No, I think we're all good to go. Fantastic. All right. So the first poster we're going to be talking about is one that I found that is in reference to um, the evil nature of Germans. This one was created by Baron Gift Collier around 1918. He did a series of propaganda posters that were portraying the Germans and specifically the Kaiser as devils. It's called Times Are Hard, Your Majesty. You Leave Us Nothing to Do. In this poster, the Kaiser, Wilhelm, is portrayed as standing and facing three different devils. And the devils are saying to him, Times Are Hard, Your Majesty. You Leave Nothing Else you leave nothing for us to do. And these devils are portrayed as coming from Gehenna Apartments, which Jake was talking about how much he liked at the beginning before we started recording. Um, What this is trying to portray is the idea that Germany and specifically the Kaiser are so evil and what they're committing at the time that this was made in 1918, there had been so much destruction that had been pinned on the Germans that they were seen as being worse than the devil. And that's, of course, what he's trying to imply when he says that even the devil has nothing to do because the Germans have beat them to it. The, uh, the devils here, they're coming from the Gehenna apartments. They look, do not look good. They look some of the, some of the worst low-income housing that you can get. There's cobwebs all <laughs> over the place. The smaller devil is holding the bigger devil's tail. It's, 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 you almost feel bad for them. That's the illustrationist. The illustrationist, the cartoonist, has done a good job of depicting this here. The German has – the Kaiser has blood all over his sword. You really it's, – it's like he's coming. He's doing the devil's job for him. So they have to leave and go find a new place that has better economic opportunity because the Germans have just taken over their evil business. That's good analysis, Jake. Another thing that we thought was interesting was that as far as being really close to historically accurate, this drawing – of Kaiser Wilhelm actually illustrates his deformed arm that we had talked about in class before, which of course is an attempt to try to diminish Kaiser Wilhelm's you know stature. But we just thought that it was interesting that the artist was really in tune to what would be an accurate detail to represent. Um, that's about everything I have on that one. Jake, do we want to move on to yours? I think we're good to go. We're gonna hit the uh, hit the big one here next. We're gonna talk about Uncle Sam. And his, his pointing out into the audience, I want you for the U.S. Army. Most people, I believe, have seen this poster before, but it's very – the one thing that hits me is that it's, it's really well drawn. The illustrationists, the cartoonists, they've done great jobs at making Uncle Sam look like a real-life figure. The other cartoons that we have, they're just a little bit more – that you can see a little bit more pencil drawn. This one is very nicely painted, and it's just very modern looking, and it's a new style that – that's the biggest thing for me. I believe that that's why it's done such, such a good job in history. It was made by James Montgomery Flagg in 1917. It was first used in this, this type of poster, I Want You for the U.S. Army, was first used for the Americans in World War I when they declared war. So the Uncle Sam figure had been used before, but he's more of a, a sedentary old man when they kind of use him. And this one makes him look a little bit younger. 
a little bit more more proud and he's got a little bit more strong eyes and the pointing really really makes a big thing that I want you for the US Army this is the first time that I believe uh, well and it's not the first time because this poster is uh, not a copy but a different spin on one that was used by Lord Kitchener in English uh, in England saying that for his new army wanting to get the recruits out since they didn't have the draft but the US does have the draft but this is still a good way to draw volunteers showing young American men that they have meaning, that war and joining the army is an opportunity for them to gain some money, to bring some honor to their name. This is the first time that they've been involved in a, a large European conflict in a while. So I, I, it almost makes me want to go up and sign for the army when I see Uncle Sam pointing at me. Definitely. I think that that's probably the most effective technique that's used here, Jake, is the idea, you know, so much propaganda, even if we look to some British examples, it's trying to compel the individual to see what they're doing for the right. war cause. And so by Uncle Sam making direct eye contact in the poster and using his finger, I want you, he's pointing to an individual, not just to a society as a whole. It's a really compelling way to try to get people to analyze how they're contributing to the war effort. And if they feel compelled, like, as if they're not doing enough, then it's really effective at getting people to join. Right, right. I want you for U.S. Army, and then underneath that it says nearest recruiting station. And once again, I just want to harp on how well this is drawn. It just looks a lot better than your typical propaganda cartoon. And I feel like the how modern it looks just is why. Four million copies in two years. That's a lot. So the U.S. really ran with this one. Definitely. Gannon will now talk about his third, our third cartoon that we have. Yep, so the third cartoon that we're looking at was created by Frederick Strothman in 1918. So again, this one would have been created close to the war's conclusion, but that doesn't take away from the uh, really strong sentiments that it's trying to build against German-Americans. Um, in this cartoon, or excuse me, this propaganda poster, um, a German soldier is being portrayed, again, as a Hun. Um, the text reads, beat back the Hun with liberty bonds. It portrays the, shoulder, the soldier as a shadowy, really evil character with a bloody bayonet and blood dripping from their fingers. Um, you can tell it's a German soldier because it's wearing the rather traditional pickle helm, the uh, helmet that, or hat, if you will, the headgear that Germans would have been wearing early on in the war before they would have been wearing the Stahlhelm, the steel helmet. Um, and the reason that this is kind of an interesting piece of propaganda is because it's appealing to two different things. As I talked about in earlier in the podcast, it's trying to instill this fear that the Germans are a, an aggressive, domineering, and um, really evil presence that wants to conquer as much as they can, which means it could potentially, the war could entail Germans actually coming onto U.S. soil and coming after them if the war got to that point. So it's trying to instill fear in that way. In addition, it's also trying to increase the idea for what the average American can do to help contribute to the war effort. Um, the idea that savings bonds or liberty bonds are a way that the average American can, can contribute to the war cause. Um, Americans could buy these war bonds, which essentially is like a loan. They can buy these bonds, which gives money to the U.S. government in advance so they can fund the war effort, and then they can buy those back, or the American government pays back those bonds with a little bit of interest afterwards. Um, this is a way that was also advertised in other pieces of propaganda as being, quote, home protection. Because in a way, with Americans buying these war bonds, it funds the American war effort. And since those soldiers are off fighting the German, quote, Huns, it's protecting them at home by preventing the Germans from ever having an opportunity 
to make it over to America to attack. Yeah, this isn't all about military and the fight. The bonds are just as important. Money, money and food and all these other things are very important for funding a war effort. And this poster is a good job as the, the Han, the German, as being depicted at like coming up and sneaking up on you. So it's, it does a good job of scaring a lot of Americans into maybe buying these bonds because the average person back home is not always going to be I mean, the U.S. sent a lot of soldiers over, but they didn't get into the war until later. So at, at first, supplies and uh, arms and more ammunition is very important, as well as these bonds. So it's a good thing for these Americans to get in early by buying these bonds. And they see it. They get scared by the Germans potentially being, bringing the war to them. So they get, out of, get off of their, their butts and they go and buy these bonds. And I always it's, – it's good to think it, – it's interesting to think how – some Germans might have taken this, some ethnically strong Germans that really, ones that might not have changed their names or not have thought of themselves as German-Americans, as Gannon said earlier, but these, these propaganda posters do not make them look well. So, and I understand it's a cartoon, it's, it's prop, it's not the president coming out and, I don't know, sticking people in internment camps or sending people back yet, but it is an interesting way to see how they get the job done through these posters. Definitely. Jake, you want to go ahead and talk about your last one? Lastly, we have a poster from the National War and National War Garden Commission from 1919. And the poster has a brown background and it reads, Can Vegetables, Fruit, and the Kaiser too? And underneath that, it has a jar of canned tomatoes and one with canned peas on the right. And in the middle, it has one that reads, Monarch Brand Unsweetened. And it has Kaiser Wilhelm II inside with his Pippelhaub on top, and he's canned in this jar. I think this is a really good cartoon. It plays really well off. Once again, we were talking about the Liberty Bonds before. So now we're talking about food conservation, food preservation. That way the Americans keep a little bit more for themselves. They're not always eating the fresh food that goes, that goes bad so quickly. They're conserving food. That way they have more to send overseas for these soldiers that need it and the allies that need it. So it's a good way to, once again, focus on the non-military aspect immediately of the war and for Americans to do the most that they can just on their own to fund the war effort. So this poster, once again, encouraged to preserve and conserve food, but even plant gardens so that Americans were growing their own food and not always buying it. Uh, the Americans were not in, they weren't on the war as long as other countries, so things like, once again, ammunition and sending the food over was uh, a big factor. And once again, I like the fact that the Kaiser is the, the unsweetened brand. I think that's very funny, but I like this poster a lot. That is a nice detail. And another thing that I thought was interesting is that there's a, a ceremonial, it looks like German sword that's also put across there, which again, I think that one strength of American propaganda artist Jake is how many really strong details that are um, typical of the Wilhelm uh, German society that would have existed at this time. So like you said, the pickle helm, the, uh, the German ceremonial sword, it all just does a really good job of representing um, the enemy that they would have been facing during the war. True. Very much so. Very much so. So unless we got anything else, I think we are all good to wrap this one up. Thanks for tuning in today. And we will be tuning in once again next week for next week's World War I podcast episode. See ya.